Welcome to my podcast, Ayurvedic Healing and Beyond. It's your host, Dr. Vignesh Devraj. And today I have a very good friend of mine, Dr. Pankaj Vij, as my interviewer in this podcast. Now, giving you a brief introduction of Dr. Pankaj Vij, an extraordinarily humble human being. Dr. Pankaj Vij is an MD, FACP, and is board certified in internal medicine and lifestyle medicine. And he practices internal medicine and also lifestyle medicine. And he's also a board member of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, and he practices in Pleasanton, California. And he's also the founder and also the chief architect of a beautiful program called Crack the Wellness Code, which happened the last two years. And it happens more than once a year, and I was uh, honored to be part of two of his events, where he brings great minds who are passionate about fitness, health, preventive medicine, holistic healing, from around the world and makes them speak and give a lot of insights and breakthrough ideas what it means to get really healed and cured. Dr. Pankaj, I'm so happy that you're part of this podcast and I'm so looking forward to having your insights in this talk today. So how has it been? Delighted, uh, delighted to be with you, honored to be on your, on your show, Vignesh. And uh, it's really been a pleasure to get to know you a little bit the last couple of years. and. Uh, it's, uh, every time I talk to you, after I'm done, I feel happy. That's, that's a mutual feeling, doctor. <laughs> Thank you. And, uh, you know, I heard that, you know, you graduated from All India Institute of Medical Science. I mean, coming from India in a school, when you take the science group, we all are taught, I mean, millions of students apply to get into that college and 50 of them among about more than uh, three or four million people apply for that and 50 of them get into that. And coming from that college and then, you know, practicing your medicine, how has it been with your medical career? And what made you get into this holistic healing and lifestyle medicine that you uh, practice right now? Yeah, it's been, a, it's been a joyful journey. It's been really fun the last uh, 20 years. And yeah, getting into All Institute, once I got that letter that I was, you know, admitted that I felt like I was the smartest man in the world. And then the first day when I got there, I felt like I was the biggest idiot in the world. <laughs> so, you know, life is a journey of learning. And, and as the more you find out, the more you realize that you don't know. Mm -hmm. And part of that journey was realizing that in our reductionist model of practicing medicine, uh, you know, oftentimes we're chasing after symptoms and we can make the symptoms look better uh, or even know what the risk factors are but we don't go after the underlying cause. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> the more I learned, the more I realized that, you know, there's, we can make a lot more impact. We have a lot more leverage if we can understand the causes and treat the causes of disease, uh, which we call illness, which is the opposite of wellness, right? So we can make people well by understanding what makes them well, which are really simple things. And that's what kind of got me interested in looking at the whole picture of health. Health is not just the absence of disease, it's much more. And, uh, and, and really when you can look at a, a human being, a fellow human being at that level and help them really understand the biological, the psychological, the social, all the different aspects, the multifactorial mechanisms of making them unwell, we can make, help them get well and heal and make them whole again. And that's why I love talking to you because that is, I know that's the Ayurveda approach, which has been there for thousands and thousands of years, way before Western medicine came about. 
Well, that's a great introduction about, uh, and doctor, you know, you're coming from a modern medical background. Now, why are we having this viruses in the first place, you know? Well, again, you think about it on a holistic standpoint, this is a symptom, a very small, you know, people are so scared, but this is just a very tiny example of what can happen when we lose our balance with nature, mm -hmm. right? In a sense, you think about it and humans are the real parasite on the planet. And we feel like we can just take whatever we want and plunder wherever we want and destroy forests and destroy ecosystems and kill other species and, you know, eat whichever other animal we want. Well, this is a really tiny reminder that it maybe it doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. And if you think back there, we have had other reminders, which we chose to ignore. In fact, the majority of the really scary infectious diseases that we have, you think about measles, which is a big killer. You think about tuberculosis, influenza, even the common cold, uh, smallpox, chickenpox. These are all diseases that actually came from animals. These mm. are animal diseases that made their way to humans <clears throat> because we have altered the way in which we relate to other species, to other animals. We're not designed to be domesticating them and keeping them in cages for, you know, our own edification or to eat, eat them, eat their young, drink their milk, eat their eggs uh, at, at will. And this is nature's very small little nudge, a little bit of a reminder that, hey, this is not how it works. You know, you were with all these, I've created all these different animals, all these different species, and you're supposed to live in balance with each other and everybody has their space everybody has their place in the ecosystem and if you know one species thinks that it can dominate and kill all the others then nature is going to do something to help restore that balance it's done that every time and you know if if we are wise then we should <clears throat> take heed and think about what we're doing and think about our role in this and learn from it so it's like we are completely at the mercy of nature and whenever we overpower or whenever we think that, you know, somewhere there is an imbalance or the energy is stuck somewhere, the nature has her way of dissolving it and making sure the flow of energy is always there. Absolutely. And, and you know, humans have in this form have only been here for, you know, a few hundred thousand years, but mm -hmm. the planet has existed for billions of years mm -hmm. and you know, it, and it will continue to go on with or without us. So uh, you're saying that this coronavirus that we are facing or the measles or the Ebola or swine flu or H1N1, all these are the penalty of nature towards human beings for being violent towards or uh, inhumanly domesticating the animals. Would you say that? Yeah, it's not even a penalty. It's a, it's a little nudge. It's just a tiny reminder. It's like, Hey, Vignesh, you're, you know, sitting too close to me. I'm mm -hmm. going to nudge you with my elbow a little bit. Hey, move, move away. Stay in your space, right? Uh, we're not designed, we haven't, nature doesn't intend for us to keep chickens, millions of chickens in a small cooped up space, mm -hmm. you know, where their eggs are rolling down a conveyor belt or keeping cows where we can drink their milk, which is designed for their babies mm -hmm. or, you know, keeping bats and, you know, eating animals that, I mean, some of this I, I couldn't even imagine, but I don't know if 
it's just unfathomable what, what we have done and how we've just gone further and further down this path just by not listening to the signals mm-hmm. that we were getting. You know, the signals were there all along. So, I mean, uh, when people say, you know, there is this, this much number of people died of coronavirus and uh, this many people are dying because of the virus. Can we completely say it is the virus that is killing them or can we say that the virus is a triggering factor? The, the reason why I'm asking is I want you to explain a, a bit about the Louis Pasteur's germ theory. You know, he says that germ is the cause of the disease. Is it something that is completely the reality or is it only a partial truth? Well, it's a partial truth. If you look closely, you look at who are the people that are dying. They, mm-hmm. We say that the people that are at the highest risk of dying are the ones who are already in compromised health in some way. Mm-hmm. And the big risk factors that we're looking at, in addition to age, you can say that age is a risk factor, right? As we get older, mm-hmm. we don't have the same constitution, partly because we don't take care of ourselves. I mean, there are elderly people who are in really good shape all of the way into their 90s and beyond. Yesterday, I was talking to someone who was 102, and he, re- he recovered from the coronavirus, and, wow. and he was a survivor of the 1918 Spanish flu. Spanish flu, yes, yes. Same person. So, so, it's, so age can be a risk factor if we don't take care of ourselves, but the other big ones we think about are diabetes, obesity, smoking, heart disease. Mm-hmm. All of these are lifestyle diseases, right? Mm-hmm. So... So the bottom line is that if for some reason you haven't taken good care of yourself and you find yourself in a compromised position now, then you're at risk from more risk from dying from this virus because it triggers a multi-system response and your organs can shut down and you need life support and it becomes, you know, a very, very challenging situation. But the virus will, yeah, 99% of people that get it are going to recover, just like you recover from the cold or most of us recover from the flu also. But the ones who are already weak that don't have a strong constitution would be the ones that die. So is it that the virus that killed you or is it that the disease killed you and the virus facilitated, it just gave you a push, you know, but you were already standing on the edge of the cliff. Mm-hmm. But so, those who take care of themselves by you know, eating a whole food plant-based diet, people that are not smoking, smoking increases your risk by 14 times, not 14%, 14x. Higher risk wow. of cirrhosis. People that are obese, people that don't exercise, that don't have a good lifestyle routine, that maybe don't have a good system for managing stress, right? Who are already on the edge are the ones who are at more risk of falling over and succumbing to this virus. But again, we need to keep on reminding ourselves that that's one percent. One percent of people that are affected, on average, are going to, you know die from this. You look at the overall number of people that are testing positive and the mortality rate. It's a lot higher than the flu, but it's still, it's not that once you have it, you know, it's a death sentence. Most of the people that get it are going to recover and they're going to be okay. It's interesting you speak about the smoking because I read somewhere that 3,000 people die of smoking every day. And 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 the cigarette companies have to find 3,000 new people every day to keep their companies running. <laughs> That's one That's way of right. looking. So, uh, a lot more people die of heart, heart disease too. Right? Exactly. Hundreds of thousands of people are dying of heart disease all over the world every day. 
No, I read one uh, statistics of 2018. It said that uh, close to 20 million people die of cardiovascular diseases and uh, 10, close to 10 million people die of cancer and close to 5 million people die just because of respiratory infections or pneumonia or uh, conditions associated with respiratory illness. Right. So, so in the grand scheme of things, it's not that many people dying, but I think it's, it's good to create that awareness because mm-hmm. one, the, the, really the most powerful tool in our uh, control that we have right now to slow down the spread is, is social distancing. And so one way to do that is to make people really aware that this is a scary thing, it's a dangerous thing. And we need to separate ourselves so we can stop the spread of the wildfire, how the fire spreads from one tree to the next tree to the next tree. If we can create a gap, yeah, then that's the only, break the chain. We can slow down mm-hmm. the spread of the fire. So uh, with your previous answer that you're saying, it is actually not the virus or the germ that is killing. It's actually the poor lifestyle that is the real uh, cause and virus is giving a push to do that. So, exactly. so instead of saying so many people died of coronavirus, it would be more truthful or complete truth would be to say that these many number of people who died had a very poor lifestyle, poor immunity, and coronavirus came and just started the spark and that led them to death. Yeah, and not to say that it's their fault because somebody you know, could be overweight or could have diabetes because of their environment, how they were raised, you know, what kind of lifestyle they grew up with from their parents or from their friends in the community so it's not necessarily their fault Mm -hmm. uh it's it's but it's knowingly or unknowingly they went down a path that has led them here but the good news is that by following the teachings of lifestyle medicine the following the teachings of um of dr devraj and ayurveda we can still reverse these diseases right Mm-hmm. We you we have helped people come back from that path and lose 20, 30, 50, 100 pounds and get off their medicines. And then once you do that, the body is now able to defend itself mm-hmm. just like it did when you didn't have the disease. So mm-hmm. you can ins- essentially go back, go back in time. I mean, uh, um, we have such great medical advancements today. I mean, we can do organ transplantation, we can decode the genome. But why is it that we don't have a cure for a common cold or a flu? I mean, I know the answer, but coming from you, it will make a big difference. And I want to know how, why is it that we are yet to find a cure for a common cold, which is also similar to what this virus is creating in many of us? Yeah, I mean, it goes back to the initial thing that we were discussing, right? We are trying to manipulate nature mm-hmm. and you know if this virus is a good example of something so simple in nature actually it is the cold virus mm-hmm. it is simply the cold virus with a small twist it has mutated mm-hmm. and and it has been allowed to come to this magnitude because we were keeping animals in close quarters mm-hmm. right in h1n1 it was chickens this time they say that it's coming from bats mm-hmm that are kept in cages. Bats are not designed to be kept in cages. Bats fly around in the middle of the night and they stay in caves. They don't stay in cages. And so by us doing that, we gave an opportunity for this virus to quickly replicate Mm -hmm. and change its DNA in a very slight twist. And it's like DNA is like letters of the alphabet. You have 26 letters in the English alphabet and you can come up with millions of words. 
So just by changing a couple of letters in that DNA code, it has morphed the cold virus into something that can be a lot more lethal than the cold. So it's a deadly combination. It has the contagion of the cold and the lethality 20 times more than influenza. And that's why everybody's scared. So if we, I mean, now the, the whole news is looking for who is going to come up with the antivirus for this COVID-19 or the anti-vaccine uh, or antiviral uh, vaccination. So can we trust this or people say that this virus keeps mutating. So even if a vaccine comes, you know, by the time it comes, the mutation is far ahead and it is not going to match what is happening. Yeah, it's a huge challenge. It's like a cat and mouse game, right? Every year we design a new flu vaccine and somebody tries to predict what strains of flu are going to be predominant. Mm -hmm. So this year in 2020, it was only about 45% effective, the mm -hmm. flu vaccine. Mm -hmm. So it, in a sense, it's a moving target and you're trying to, to you know, pick the right numbers on the lottery ticket, right? <laughs> but the ticket is constantly changing and there's so many combinations Mm -hmm. uh, in that ticket that it can easily change and morph. So if there's a vaccine, it's at least a year away from now, probably a year, year and a half. Mm -hmm. And my guess is that it's not going to be perfect. So the best thing we can do is to strengthen our own constitution, mm -hmm. right? To work on what we can do so that, you know, if your house is well protected and you've taken care of it, then the storms will come. But if you're constantly doing the maintenance, then you have the best chance of <clears throat> being able to withstand, withstand the storm. You can't necessarily predict which storm is coming when, mm -hmm. right? But if you are taking care of your house, you know that you're in the best shape that you can be. And then whatever will, will come, will come. Uh, that's a fantastic analogy. I mean, this is how I explain when people come and ask why we do panchakarma, like this detox therapy and resetting your metabolism and other aspects. I want to come back to your book about uh, metabolism, where you wrote about eight weeks to the new you, the turbo metabolism. So before that, I mean, uh, you were saying that, you know, as long as you keep up with your immune system, that is the greatest uh, immunity that we're going to have. I mean, more than depending on the vaccination, which pharmaceutical company is going to come, taking care of your immunity is going to be the most powerful way to bulletproof yourself from potential virus. Is that what you mean? Absolutely. But taking care of your immunity. And again, immunity is, is really a function of your overall well-being, your overall health, right? It's not one thing that you can take this one particular herb. You can take some... Um, turmeric or ashwagandha and all of a sudden you have 100% immunity, right? It's a function of your overall mm -hmm. well-being. It's a function of your relationships with others. It's your, a function of how well you sleep. Mm -hmm. It's a function of, you know, how much diversity in your food that you're eating. It's how much physical activity. It's how much time you're spending outdoors. It's, you know, your overall life satisfaction. It's how, how often you talk to your mom or your you know, your brother or your sister, it's all of those things determine your immunity. It's your overall well-being. And if any one aspect of those is lacking, then you're not going to be the best version of yourself. Mm -hmm. I remember uh, when I was listening to one of your speeches, you were talking about the cortisol or the adrenal 
uh, hormones and how that is going to affect our immune system. Could you say a little bit about that? Yeah, so uh, this is all about the science of stress and relaxation, which mm -hmm. again, Western science picked up on that about a century ago. Ayurveda knew about it 8,000, more than 8,000 years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, but what we know in Western science is that there are stress hormones that are produced by the adrenal gland. The adrenal gland is this gland that's right next to your kidneys. Mm -hmm. That's why it's called adrenal because it's next to the kidneys. Mm -hmm. And it produces hormones, many hormones. One of them is cortisol, which is called cortisol because it's produced in the cortex, the outside of the adrenal gland. And we know that at times of stress, when the fight or flight response is activated, or is a psychological stress, social stress, even physical stress, you mm -hmm. can you will have high le higher levels of cortisol in the body. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that cortisol does is it puts you in a mode of war, right? You're mm -hmm. in, this is war time. You need to eat as much as you can. You need to stay fat. You know, we don't care about repair. We don't care about rejuvenation. We don't really care about immunity right now. This is wartime. You need to be able to fight, run away from this danger, mm -hmm. or uh, be able to fight it. And that's okay when you're in that mode for a short term and you're being you know, chased by a predator, when you're about to be bitten by a crocodile. Mm -hmm. But when we stay in this mode all the time, we're rushing from meeting to meeting. We're you know, chasing after getting payments. We're chasing after employees. We're having trouble with our relationships, with our spouse, with our children, with our parents. It's like we're constantly in this mode of run, 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 run. Then the body is in a state of compromise. That's where we would be at a higher risk of picking up something that can harm us, such as at this time, we're talking about this virus. So I think more than the what the virus could actually do to a human body, I think the anxiety and fear is giving us more trouble than the virus itself. Yeah, it's like seeing a snake, right? More people die after seeing a snake just from fear of the snake mm. than the actual snake bite That's and causing saying. poison. The fear of attack is stronger than the attack itself. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, so, doctor, now let's say that now we read the news that somebody is positive with uh, COVID-19 and they are asymptomatic. And right. later, you know, they check it is uh, negative and, and there is a possibility they could be positive again. So once you're positive and you get through this with the mild symptoms or something, is it like, you know, like chickenpox? They said once you're infected with chickenpox and go through that, you never get chickenpox. So is does the same concept apply to this uh, coronavirus? Yes. My understanding is that once you have an infection you that's what we say you're testing positive mm -hmm. your body clears it your immunity clears it now your immunity has a an, a memory of this particular attack mm -hmm. and and you will maintain that immunity for a while so it would be like getting a vaccination but if we have another pandemic next year with a different virus or a different form of coronavirus that has mutated now i don't have immunity to that mm -hmm. so so going back to your example of the flu vaccine, right? We tried to predict what's going to be in the flu. Mm -hmm. And I could have the correct formula for this year. <clears throat> but next year, the flu has changed and my formula may not work. Or I could have had the flu this year. I could have it again next year because it's a different strain mm -hmm. of virus. 
but speaking specifically of COVID-19, if someone has COVID-19, they tested positive, two, three weeks later, they tested negative, meaning their immune system cleared it, they're not gonna get it again. And one of the things that's actually being tested is taking the convalescent serum, taking the blood from someone who's recovered mm -hmm. and seeing if we can use that and inject it into people that are really sick and see if we can use that to help their immune system. Oh, so it's like uh, once, let's say that there is one person, he's tested positive. So his antibodies and his immunity learned how to fight this coronavirus. So he knows how to pull him down. So that right. one, one, once the same information goes to another person's body, so he knows how to fight that. If, if the yeah. virus so at some point, once 50, 60% of us get infected, we are going to develop what's called herd immunity. Mm -hmm. So the whole herd is then immune. And that's what happens with vaccination. If you can vaccinate, for example, with measles, mm -hmm. you can vaccinate 60 to 70% of a community, 80%. You know, that's generally considered to be sufficient to keep everybody else protected mm -hmm. so, because the herd is safe so so this herd immunity you know there, there are some uh, politicians who come and say that it's okay if this spreads and you know many people get it uh, but the the issue is we don't have enough respirators to deal with if there is an over uh, you know there is a huge demand of influx of people to the emergency room so we cannot handle them so the doctors have to depend on who will survive. Only these people will get the access and others, you know, they are completely at the mercy of the availability of uh, respirators. So in case if we are equipped with enough number of respirators in, in case something in the future happens. So would you say that, you know, letting it spread and bringing up the herd uh, immune system or immunity is the best way to deal with this? Well, there would always be a challenge because it's respirators, it's hospital beds, it's uh, the staff, the personnel uh, to to man these uh, machines and take care of all these people would would be a challenge. And mm -hmm. with something like this that's so contagious mm -hmm. that can spread so rapidly, it could overwhelm the system. So that's what we're talking about: flattening the curve so that mm -hmm. we don't get you know this kind of growth and everybody's presenting to the hospital at the same time. What happened in Italy, they had to, they were, you know, having to decide on the spot, okay, this person doesn't qualify, this other person we're going to take because we can only take one of you, right? If there's a family and there's a grandpa and the father both at the same time, this 80-year-old grandpa is going to be let go so that we can save the 55-year-old son. Yes. And, and he has family. That's what they're challenging with in New York right now. Um, so <clears throat> I, I think the flattening of the curve is a really smart thing that, that we are trying to do all over the world. Uh, if it wasn't something that was so serious and so fatal, then we could say, yeah, let's just let the herd get immune. But mm -hmm. I think it's an irresponsible thing to say when we're talking about losing so many lives in the process. So even if we have enough respirators, uh, you would still say that quarantining is the best way. It is, it is the best way for something like this. That's what I would say. Again, because it is, even with the respirators, not everybody that gets, just because you're able to get on a ventilator doesn't mean that you're going to survive. Mm -hmm. Even the people that are getting on the ventilator, uh, some of them might not make it. And the ones that do will be left with long-term damage to the lungs as well. So it's not 
it's not a good option that just because you have somebody uh, who can be put on a ventilator and then everything is cool. It's not like that. It's, there's still risk. So I don't think it'd be a good idea. So which it's means, uh, which means if this virus or a mutated virus comes in future, even, no matter how much of respirators availability you have, we can still go through the same thing when such a virus comes back. This will happen again and again until humans realize, you know, what we need to do. Not as eat the bats anymore. <laughs> and really think about, you know, what kind of food we are designed to eat. And, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you and I know that that's a whole food plant-based diet. Mm -hmm. And living in harmony with nature. And, you know, you see that year-round when people come to your resort, even in a short time of a few days or a week or two weeks, they completely reset. Yes, exactly. Right? Mm -hmm. So that's a living example. You see that over and over again, that even with that much short time of really being in harmony with nature, you can come back to a balance and come back to wellness. But then they go, go to their own homes and in a few weeks, the toxic waste starts accumulating again and they have to come, come to you year, year after year. So we know that when, when we live in harmony, everything works the way it should. But when we get into so-called modern civilized life, it's just full of problems. So you're saying that a sustainable solution is not about getting as much uh, respirators or ventilators or you know preparing for a quarantine if such thing comes. It is much more about living in harmony and not caging these animals and stop being so violent against these animals. That's the only way we can protect ourselves in the future. Because just, you're just saying we'll get more respirators is again an example of treating the symptom, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, you can't breathe, we'll put you on the machine. That's fine. We need thousand of them. We need million. We need hundred million. It's fine. We have them. Let's keep doing what we're doing. That's like saying, okay, I'm going, I know I'm going hundred miles per hour, you know, towards the cliff mm -hmm. and I'm getting all these warning signs coming up and instead of heeding the warning signs, I'm going to keep going 100 miles per hour because mm -hmm. I know that, you know, I'm, I have good brakes on my car or, or something. That's not, or I have a good net that will catch me on the other end. Why? Wait a minute. Why am I, when I know that I'm going in the wrong direction, why don't I turn around? I mean, we as humans, you know, we overcame so many crises. But even then, uh, as I can anticipate, even though we, you know, somebody will come up with an uh, antiviral therapy and there is a vaccination for this virus and uh, we are going to have enough uh, ventilators or respirators, but still, why do you think we are not going to learn from this and be in harmony with nature? What is stopping us? What is the resistance of this humanity to get in touch with this aligned energy with the nature? You know, I, I heard a quote recently, and I, I think I'm, don't, I'm not going to say it exactly, but it was something along the lines of, um, we live our lives as if we'll never die. Mm -hmm. And then we die as if we had never lived. <laughs> right? Let's, let's say that again. We... we live as if we'll never die, right? People uh -huh. assume that we are immortal. We can do whatever exactly. we want. I'm going to be here forever. This is all mine. I can destroy. I can, you know, mm -hmm. I, I own everything Only that's thing. around me. Exactly. Right? Mm -hmm. And then we die as if we had never lived. Right? So 
you, you, when you die, it's like, okay, what is the significance? So many people on their deathbed are thinking, you know, what, what did I really do? What was I here for? What was the relevance of my life? Oh, that's so why not live? Statement. Yeah. Why not live as if it really matters, right? Think about the choices that you're making every day mm. and see if you can make better choices that will influence your own destiny and others in a mm. positive way. Right. I know that's what, that's how you live your life. For sure, and I tried. I'm trying to do the same. And uh, doctor, when it comes to your concept of metabolism, which uh, which you specialize in, there's the book that you wrote called Turbo Metabolism. So, would you say metabolism and immunity are like hands in glove with the whole concept? Like, it is your metabolism that is also going to be the foundation for your immune system. Absolutely. And again, Ayurveda taught this ten thousand years ago. We know that. The gut is the is the biggest is the headquarters of the immune system is mm-hmm. in the gut. You know, we in Western medicine we learn about lymphatic system and we have lymph nodes everywhere that are fighting. But the gut is the main place where the all the foreign antigens are presented because we're eating so many tons of food in our lifetime, mm-hmm. and the gut is the one that has to process everything. Therefore, how you digest food, how you metabolize food, is intimately related to your overall ability to fight disease and how strong your immune system is. So in those times, uh, if you would give a few tips, how can we improve the metabolism? What would that be? It's, it's about what you do with your feet, forks and fingers, right? It's about food, food choices, mm-hmm. in whole food, plant-based diet, unprocessed food. It's about exercise, spending time outdoors, movement, it's about sleep. It's about relationships. Those, those are the key things. And then the obvious stuff, which we all know, don't smoke, don't drink, don't put things in your body that you know, don't uh, agree with it and uh, that don't do good things inside. Mm-hmm. And this might be a good stopping point because I'm getting some noise and uh, we can maybe continue this. Yeah, I can. Uh, that's okay. That's okay. I, I hear the Caltrain. It's, it's going to be fine. <laughs> Okay, uh, and I think like my it, battery might be a little low too. No, no, this is fine. This is fine. We are almost going to be there. So I, I see that you talk about relationship. I mean, is, is this relationship something to do with the feeling of being safe or safety or, you know, we are a social animal. You know, we love to be connected with someone and that gives us a feeling of safety. Is that what you mean by relationships? Yeah, relationships are, are all about being connected with each other and having safety and feeling like we belong. I think belonging would be a better word even than safety. Mm-hmm. And that we feel that we're interconnected. So mm-hmm. going back to thinking about nature, right? We are all interconnected. Not only amongst our, within our own species, but also with other species as well. Mm-hmm. So those relationships that we have where we feel like, you know, I have... I have friends everywhere. I have someone I can talk to. I, I feel safe in discussing things that are going on for me. I don't feel ashamed in discussing my inner feelings with someone uh, are, are hugely important in your immunity and your ability to be well and to be able to fight disease or not get affected by the things that are going on around us. So you would say in this time of COVID-19 pandemic, situation we would say as your prescription you might say that get better with your relationships with your near and dear ones and that will improve your immune system
Uh, finally, we got the connection back. So, Dr. B will, uh, I'll just talk about the book that you have authored, Turbo Metabolism, Eight Weeks to a New You, Preventing and Reversing Diabetes, Obesity, Heart Disease, and Other Metabolic Diseases by Treating the Causes. And I think we can get it now in Kindle, even though the Amazon is not going to supply the books anymore till the pandemic is over. So, could you tell a, just a brief in two minutes, the key insights of your message of this book? Yeah, uh, Vignesh, the message becomes even more relevant at this time as we talk about boosting immunity, right? Because it's, as we've been discussing, it's all about lifestyle choices. Mm -hmm. And going back to the key message of the book, it's about food. That's mm -hmm. the biggest one. People don't think about it, but the food choices that you make determine how healthy and how vibrant you are on the inside. To be able to have a strong fortress of a house that can withstand the storm. So mm -hmm. Food is a big one. The second one is movement. And uh, the third one would be relationships. Those would be the top three. If you think about the most important things in lifestyle. And then sleep and stress. But I think we can lump that along with relationships. Even though we are in lockdown, I think we can. This is the best time to focus on all these three aspects than any other time. <laughs> it really is. And in a lot of ways, it's actually opened up our ability to you know think about those things and go inside right i know i'm meditating more i've been calling my friends more i've been working on relationships more and really you know being more introspective which we don't do when we're in our you know normal running around we just uh, are constantly focused outwards instead of looking inwards and seeing what really matters so in a sense it's been a blessing because it's forced us to uh, bring the attention to the things that really make a difference it's a, actually this, this we could use this time as a great boon to be more creative and getting more inside it Absolutely. was really fantastic uh, dr pankaj which uh, having this wisdom full of uh, conversations that we had and I will put more details about your book and your work in the bio of this podcast and this interview. Thank you so much, doctor. And looking forward to having more conversations with you in future. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's truly a pleasure. Thank you. Take care.